Second Chronicles, chapter 8. At the end of 20 years, in which Solomon had built Yahweh's house and his own house, Solomon built the cities which Huram had given to Solomon and caused the children of Israel to dwell there. Solomon went to Hamath Zobar and prevailed against it. He built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he built in Hamath. Also, he built Beth Horon the upper and Beth Horon the lower, fortified cities with walls, gates and bars, and Baalath and all the storage cities that Solomon had, and all the cities for his chariots, the cities for his horsemen, and all that Solomon desired to build for his pleasure in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. As for all the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of Israel, of their children who were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel didn't consume, of them Solomon conscripted forced labour to this day. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no servants for his work, but they were men of war, and chief of his captains, and rulers of his chariots, and of his horsemen. These were the chief officers of King Solomon, even 250 who ruled over the people. Solomon brought up Pharaoh's daughter out of David's city to the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places where Yahweh's ark has come are holy. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to Yahweh on Yahweh's altar, which he had built before the porch. Even as the duty of every day required, offering according to the commandment of Moses, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feasts, three times per year, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during the Feast of Weeks, and during the Feast of Booths. He appointed according to the ordinance of David his father the division of the priests to their service, and the Levites to their offices, to praise and to minister before the priests, as the duty of every day required, the doorkeepers also by their division at every gate, for David the man of God had so commanded. They didn't depart from the commandment of the king to the priests and the Levites concerning any matter or concerning the treasures. Now all the work of Solomon was prepared from the day of the foundation of Yahweh's house until it was finished. So Yahweh's house was completed. Then Solomon went to Ezion-Geba and to Eloth on the seashore in the land of Edom. Huram sent him ships and servants who had knowledge of the sea by the hand of the servants and they came with the servants of Solomon to Ophir, and brought from there 450 talents of gold, and brought them to King Solomon. All right. There's not a lot to say about this chapter, because nearly everything that we've just read, we read and we talked about in Kings. However, there was one line that appeared right up there in verse 3, and it said that, that Solomon went to Hamath, Zabor, and prevailed. So we have one line in the whole entire of the Bible, and, and as far as we know, in all of history, that shows us that Solomon actually fought a little war. <laughs> so he's a man of peace, and he's inherited a, an empire that's already been established, and, um, but there's one city he fights. And I guess, um, you know, that's just something we wouldn't have expected. His name even means peace. You know, the word Shalom and the name Solomon come from the same Hebrew uh, wording. And um, so there you go. He he not he isn't one hundred percent a man of peace. He fights at least one war. But sometimes to keep the peace, you've got to have a war. <laughs> so he has a little one. Right at the end of this chapter, it says that he went to Ezi and Geba and Elath. Now these two cities or two places are on the Gulf of Aqaba. 
So if you know your Middle Eastern geography, there's a, a, a C that comes up that looks like a hand with a, with a peace sign. If you look, you'll see it on a map. It looks like a hand with a peace sign and the, the land goes like this. Well, right up at the tip is the Gulf of Aqaba and these two cities are there. It's not in the land of Israel um, today. Well, Elat, the, the town of Elat, like the, the city, the country of Israel today comes right down to a fine point and just touches the Red Sea, that's Elat. And so that's there today, and that would be Elath that's just been mentioned. But Izzy and Geba isn't, isn't in Israel today, but um, Israel had a much bigger control of land back then. So that was where they set sail to go to Ophir for gold. And it said here they brought back uh, 450 talents of gold. In the king's account, it said they brought back 420 talents of gold. There's a difference of 30. So once again, <laughs> the skeptics have fun with that. Yeah. But, and we don't actually have a answer for the difference. Like in reading commentaries, no one seems to have an answer. But Matthew Henry just said that there's usually a reason for these differences. Like for example, maybe the 420 was the net, uh, the net payment. In other words, they sailed back with 450, but they paid the sailors and they paid, you know, import tariff at wherever they landed and all of this and then 420 is what they got left, but 450 was what they actually took. So it could be something as simple as that one's the gross amount, one's the net amount after expenses. It could be something like that, we don't really know. But when there's a difference in the Bible, that's not a scribal difference. So sometimes it's like you can look at the text and you can say, oh, that was just a copying mistake because they're very similar. Um, but when it's an, an obvious difference and there's, you don't know the reason, this is where we just trust the Lord. There'd be a reason for it. And you know what? Maybe in the course of time with archaeology, we'll find out what the reason is. Because there are plenty of times where people have criticized the Bible and they've said things like, for example, oh, the city of um, so-and-so didn't exist. Classic example is all these archaeologists that were just 50 years ago were saying there's no proof that King David ever existed. And, you know, he's a fictitious character. You know, they were saying he's just like King Arthur, you know. And, um, <laughs> well, now they don't say that anymore, see? because archaeology has proved his existence. And so what happens as time goes on, they find more and more things. So sometimes these little differences don't make sense right now. Another great example was where it talked in Numbers chapter 11 about um, Moses's wife, and who was a Cushite. And everyone was saying, ah, his wife's not a Cushite, his wife's a, from Midian. But no, anyway, it turns out when you read other books that Moses had two wives. <laughs> just only one of them was mentioned by name in the Bible. The other one was just mentioned there by saying he had a Cushite wife. Didn't mention that it was a different wife. So sometimes things that seem like a discrepancy, there's a genuine good reason for it. And uh, we just don't know what it is. And I'm always fine with that. I'm fine with things like this because I trust the Lord. I've seen the Lord at work so much that it's not a bother to me at all. And um, so that's fine. Now I wanted to finish this chapter with a thought. Solomon was the wealthiest man of his time, and Chronicles hasn't really focused on his wealth too much. The king's account focused a lot on his wealth, how many wives he had, how much money he got every year, all the things they did, all the buildings he built, how many horses. So kings really went into it. Chronicles doesn't mention it much. But Solomon was fabulously wealthy, the wealthiest man of his time, and if there was a way of measuring wealth comparative, comparatively from one age to another, you know, like they say, for example, um, in the news recently, it was saying that Elon Musk 
is the wealthiest man of all time. But when you go and look at his figures, what they're, they're not comparing against people like Solomon because they, they, they're not able to compare. And there's also some other historical figures, like there was a king in Africa, the king of Mali, who was a fabulously wealthy. And some people think he could have been the wealthiest man of all time. Well, there's no way of comparing with ancient, ancient times because it's hard to tell. But we can say that, look, he's definitely a handful of people who've been incredibly wealthy, who could have had anything they wanted. And, but Jesus, he said in the New Testament, he said, look at these, these flowers. He said, I tell you, not even Solomon was dressed as well as these flowers. Does not God care? You know, God cares for the birds and God cares for the flowers. And so Solomon was, God was saying, Jesus was saying, in the same way, the Lord will look after you. Now Solomon, who couldn't even dress himself as well as a flower, um, but he had everything he wanted, would you prefer to be Solomon back then or would you prefer to be you now? Some people complain about their lives now because they think that, you know, I'm just an ordinary person, I wish I had more money, then I could do anything I want. I've realized in recent times that we're all billionaires. Now, you're not a billionaire if you look at your bank balance, but you're a billionaire in terms of what you've got you available. And, and the day that I realized this, I was down at the Botanical Gardens in Rockhampton. It's a fabulous Botanical Gardens. And it's got trees that were planted in the 1800s. And you know, you read about some of these kings and it says they planted a garden and all of this. Well, that's this, this is the type of thing we're talking about, botanical gardens. And you know, in the old days, you know, only a fabulously wealthy king could do a thing like that. But today, we have things available to us that are what, what you call public property. They're yours. Like we have libraries. You can go to the Rockhampton Library and you can borrow out of, I don't know how many books are there. There must be more than 100,000 books available for you to borrow. The Bible says that Solomon had knowledge more than anyone else. But I'll tell you what, you've got more knowledge available in that library and on the internet than Solomon could ever have dreamed of. It's unbelievable, and even your, the, the amount of things you know from just having gone to school, grades one to 12, is probably greater than that that Solomon had. And so in terms of knowledge, what's available to you, in terms of public property, like libraries and parks, parks and gardens, like that botanical gardens that's fabulous, it's yours. You can go there and enjoy it anytime you want, and you don't have to weed the gardens. You don't have to keep it up. There's a public zoo there in Rockhampton. You can go and see exotic animals like peacocks and monkeys. It's said in the Bible that you know Solomon imported peacocks from you know someplace the east. Well, you know it's all yours. You've got peacocks. You've got monkeys. <laughs> you don't have to even have to pay for them or care for them. It's all done for you. And you know at night time when Solomon wanted to to have some entertainment, you know he had to call on the the a local musician or a local court jester or, or someone to come and tell him a poem or whatever. But you can put on a million channels uh, on his YouTube. You've got the un an unbelievable amount of, ent of entertainment that Solomon never could have had. And at night, if he wanted food, he had you know the type of food they had around Israel. But you, for 10 bucks, can go get Chinese or Korean or Mexican food or French cuisine. <laughs> it's unbelievable what you can get walking through the aisles at Coles or, Kane, or you know, Woolworths, your grocery store, if you're an American, in Walmart or Viata, my wife's favorite store in America. Like you, um, it's unbelievable what you have got 
and um, you live in houses that were better than Solomon's house. You've got air conditioning, you've got heating, you've got flushing toilets, you've got cars to drive. You know, Solomon might have had a chariot, but you've got a car. And um, like, once you start thinking about it in comparative terms, you're Solomon, you're a billionaire. You've got resources at your hand that no one in history has had. And that's the work, that's the result of the gospel, changing the world and lifting the living standards of so many people up. The best thing that the world can, the, the, the gospel can do for now, not for eternity, but for now, is to lift the living standards of people. Because as people are wealthier, there's less sickness, there's less violence, there's less crime. As people, as people live longer, <laughs> as, as the living standards increase, so much good comes about. And I'll tell you what, wherever the gospel goes, living standards increase. This is all because of Jesus Christ. So what one or two could have experienced all those years ago, you know, the world is being changed by the gospel. And I wouldn't switch places with Solomon in a blink. In fact, I wouldn't even switch places with Rockefeller. Now, Rockefeller was the wealthiest man in the world just 100 or so years ago. But what we've had in the last 100 years is things like vaccines and the internet and cars and motormobiles and instant communication, mobile phones, like all of the things we've got. An average human now is better off than the wealthiest human 100 years ago. Thank God. <laughs> so you might not realize that, but when we talk about Solomon and his fabulous wealth, you're talking about yourself. It's you. Don't look back on him and think, here's some bloke that was well off, but you know, I'm not well off. No, you're better off than Solomon. You're better off than, than just about anyone in history. You're fabulously blessed, and it's, the, and it's all because of Christ and the gospel. Thank God. Lord, we're so grateful that we're so blessed. And I know we compare ourselves to maybe Bill Gates, <laughs> but Lord, really, we're so wonderful, we're so blessed, we're so, we've been so graciously treated. I thank you, Lord, for it all. And I pray that the gospel would have an ongoing effect in the world, in the nations, in those parts of the world that are still struggling, like India and Northern Africa and other places. Let the gospel have a profound impact. Let the whole world come to know of the Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.